Welcome to Digital Marketing Musings. I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Every episode, we chat with industry experts to bring the latest tips, tricks, and trends in digital marketing. This is Digital Marketing Musings, sponsored by Merkle. Let's dive right in. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings, Season 3. Today, we're joined by Gary Kagawa to talk about trends, predictions, and everything marketers need to know for 2023. Gary is a Vice President of Research and Insights here at Merkle. Gary, we're so excited to have you and welcome to our show. Thank you. Great to be here. So looking back on the past year, what were some of the primary trends that we saw play out, particularly in the digital marketing space? You know, we found that there are a number of things. And, you know, in, in speaking with, with a number of people, there, there are things that continuously evolve. But some of the things that we thought about pointing out, things that are even leading into 2023, are things like the economic seesaw that we're starting to see. Um, it started this year. It started teetering more and more. You know, we just don't know what will um, be coming about, but the idea of vigilance is going to be very key as we've watched 2022 come to fruition and also as we step into 2023. We also think that uh, social commerce, as a part of digital commerce in general, is going to start to continue to grow. Social commerce itself made great headway this year, and continuing into 2023 and beyond, it will become significant. But what's more interesting is that overall, digital commerce will be significant. And in fact, while the number of uh, digital consumers will grow, what's more interesting is that the growth of digital consumers will be outweighed by the amount of um, sales that will be happening for digital commerce and social commerce as well. The other thing too, uh, as we've started to see is gaming is mainstream and yeah. it's becoming that way. There are so many people involved. Some of our own research through our Mercury platform indicates that there are 81 million people who are actually very interested in participating in uh, gaming regularly, and also a significant number of people who actually are hugely passionate about it. So a lot of that is really at the cusp of finding different people, like different advertisers stepping in, like Prada and also Tommy Hilfiger, to actually take advantage of the gaming universe, if you will. And then the other thing that we have started to see is, of course, trending for videos becoming so much a part of everything that we do. And as we start to look towards even a broader future, we also start to think about how video can start to play an increasing role in how we communicate, how we storytell. And I think one of the things that will be so important for us to do is really understanding how we can start to take advantage and be aware of all the new things that are starting to come about, including Netflix, who announced this past year that they're entering the ad-supported space. So additionally, ways that... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, do I switch my um, subscription for Netflix? Yep. Don't know, but yep. you know. I'll have to see what I get and don't get. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. A crossover between those two last items. Didn't they also recently announce that they're getting into the gaming space? Ooh, I haven't heard that one, but I'm not surprised. I had heard that, but like, 
uh, to to that point, I mean, we spent a lot of season two talking about gaming. Mm-hmm. It was a huge trend that we were personally and professionally interested in learning more about. You know, we talked about gaming more broadly, but then you know, the crypto and NFTs and metaverse. the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was like a, a six or seven episode kind of mini series that you know we spent so much time on because it's so different and it's so important, particularly in that like upper to mid funnel section of how brands are playing. Absolutely, and I think what through technology we're beginning to see how we can become part of such an immersive in, environment mm-hmm. where brands can come to life where. You know, I think we noticed a source that actually calls um, the avatar becoming the new consumer. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is such an, a distinction in the evolution of how we're going to market and how we start to think about not just seeing performance in the same traditional ways of upper, lower, middle funnel, but being creating engagement and creating extensions of experiences that start are coming to life, Very especially so. through the metaverse. Very much so. But Gaia and Andrea, what do you think about the question of cryptocurrency? Because obviously that was going so well. And yet towards the end of the year, we had a few <laughs> hiccups. Quite a few. And I have some clients, who, uh, nonprofit clients who it was hitting such a market peak and it was so prevalent just in the discourse of general society that that was one of the initiatives that they really pushed through this year of accepting cryptocurrency. But then there are, you know, other organizations who have made even like ethical decisions not to accept it because of the like emissions or like the the amount of energy used to uh, mine for cryptocurrency. So it definitely seems to be something that each brand probably needs to make a decision on based off of like, is it worth the squeeze to set up everything that's needed in order to accept or trade in cryptocurrencies or how big is their brand really going to play in that space in the metaverse? where that's going to become the mainstream form of currencies. Yeah, I feel like that's like the biggest question is like, where do we see the brand experiences going in the future? Um, you know, crypto being tied to it, but also like crypto, you very quickly start talking about like NFTs and the different ways that brands can show up both in the metaverse. But then I'm also thinking about our conversations around like Twitch and streaming and all of those sorts of things as well. Mm-hmm. That whole series was very mind blowing for me as we were having those conversations. <laughs> just like all the things I didn't know that I didn't know, um, and really should have, have have been participating more in. I think though that the economic situation associated with all of that is also very important to realize that ultimately there needs to be more legislation, which is probably coming this year, to really help anchor this and actually solidify more of this currency asset to become more real, if you will, where it's less challenging, if you will, to you know invest and know that something like what happened in the past fall could happen again. So we need to really make sure, hopefully make sure that all of this is more stable so that people can really take advantage of it. Definitely a few key trends uh, that are kind of like 
weaving into that thread of more legislation around them. The other one being privacy. I mean, mm, yep. we've talked about it so much the last few years that it's kind of becomes one of those topics that no, no one wants to talk about anymore because <laughs> we're, we're tired of talking about it. But, uh, you know, Chrome still hasn't completely deprecated cookies. We're still expecting that'll be something coming along the pike sooner or later. And, and more and more privacy legislations keep getting rolled out and we'd expect that would, would probably continue. But yeah, there are a lot of these like digital experiences that we still don't have a hold on, like how as a society we're going to handle them. But I also think that some of the other things that are happening with regard to legislation, that's really very interesting that's just happened is TikTok being banned from government devices. So ultimately, you know, that in and of itself is big, but what's bigger is what are we going to really see a ban on TikTok across the board, whether it's, you know, banning it from the U.S. It's It's hard to imagine that such a huge player in the social media space could get banned, but there's challenges there, mm-hmm. right? Well, and what's wild about TikTok is not just the whole like banning conversation, which is extremely interesting in and of itself and definitely want to come back to talk about more. But as you're talking about video and, and thinking about how that's changing and how quickly TikTok has had an impact on Instagram, Facebook, and, and having them have a response to offering these things and the way it has started to change how we consume content is really just fascinating. I've noticed my own attention span continuing to dwindle <laughs> over the past year, year and a half. If something's not intriguing me, really within like a second, I'm immediately right like onto the next short video, whether it whether it's like, you know, YouTube has that feature now, yeah. Instagram got the feature, yeah. Facebook has the feature. And like, even if it was banned, I'm the kind of millennial where I never downloaded TikTok and I only watch them get reposted on all of these other platforms. But it it is definitely interesting how much has influenced the other the other platforms. Absolutely. And you know, I am personally so captivated in dog videos. <laughs> Very sad. <laughs> Because of my pandemic puppy, I am obsessed with all of all of those, but also also obsessed with all the music videos that people are posting and they're dancing because it's fun, hilarious. It gives you a real break Mm -hmm. from things that are happening in the world. Mm -hmm. It's just fun to see people enjoying themselves. I mean, there's a great balance there. Taking it to the marketing component of it, right, is like when these brands are adopting to the new ad formats available to them, these short these short form videos, you can really see the difference between the brands that really understand like the tone that someone is looking for in or like the, t- the feel of the video where it feels like more of a native influence yep. influencer video so versus important. the ones that are just. They're taking their same assets, they're cutting them down, yep. and they're repurposing them because, man, do I skip those, <laughs> those latter ones immediately. Well, and, and this is making me think about, is was Ocean Spray and the guy that was skateboarding, and I think it was this year, maybe it was 
2020. I can't remember exactly, but just like how <laughs> viral that video went and like what a branding opportunity that it was for Ocean Spray to like have their name out there. I'm sure they saw like, I hope, or at least I hope they saw some pretty decent uh, increases in, in sales after that. But it was, it was pretty wild to see that. Totally. Yeah, I think the, the need to really understand the medium in which a video or any ad is sits within, I think we need, you need to be as authentic as possible in order for the audiences to feel as if, you know, you really understand that. I think from a consumer standpoint, that's critical, you know, and also the ability to understand, as you, you were mentioning, Gaia, that difference in sort of life stages or generations, that too is going is so critical to understanding at the you know, forefront of everything we do at Merkle, it's really to understand the core of the audience and how they connect. So it's critically important to, you know, have the creative be as authentic as an expression of the brand as possible. Something else that I think we touched on in one of our quarterly trend episodes was just the continuous resurrection of the QR code. I know we all started to use it to be contact-free during the, the height of the pandemic, but it definitely seems like something that's really sticking around. I've seen it in a lot of direct mail pieces, trying to get people to uh, go online and adopt more of a digital first response format. But I've also seen it in, you know, like connected TV ads where uh, advertisers are trying to create some intrigue with like, ooh, what's gonna what's gonna be on the other end with this this QR code? <laughs> uh, but it definitely seems to be sticking around maybe more than someone might had might have anticipated kind of in this post-ish uh, pandemic space. Absolutely. And in DRTV commercials for nonprofits towards the end of the year, I saw a number of them with it on. And you know, it brings to mind the ability for you know why to why using the qr code and it's it does provide another way of creating a response tactic to get people to to connect in different ways but i think also to your point it is intriguing i think it's also equally as much polarizing because i remember first going into restaurants and seeing that going Ah, uh, now I have to make sure I go down and, you know, yeah. open up that menu. But, you know, I think more and more seeing the, the use of it gets people, even if there's some friction there, still an opportunity to start to expand on it, find ways of making it more endemic to the things that marketers might do and offer to consumers as another response device. And it totally is that fiction point, right? Like I just got a new phone a couple of months ago. And prior to that, I was still relatively a holdout of scanning QR codes because I would have had to download a, a different app that wasn't like already connected to my camera on this mm -hmm. phone that was like five years old. And I was like, do I really want to waste the space on this random app just to scan a QR code? Right. But when you've, you've upgraded to the new tech, the friction doesn't exist. It's so easy and it's something that I'm engaging with like pretty frequently. Yeah, I was in a, a seminar where they used it for 
just even getting responses or end of meeting survey, if you will. But I think sometimes you also have to make sure with anything, a landing page or a text link to make sure that any of those actually work well, because I think that a good experience will lend itself towards, oh, this is great. I wish more people would do it versus, you know, from a consumer standpoint, like I couldn't get it and it's just not working for me. So why bother, you know? I mean, I think that lends itself to like a topic we just talk about a lot at Merkle increasingly over the years is this like very connected consumer experience and increasing consumer expectations over time just exponentially, right? So Mm -hmm. if I click on a shopping link to a brand from an Instagram ad uh, or even like an organic post to them and their page takes like more than a second to load on my phone, like... I'm out. I'm not sticking around anymore. Um, whereas I, just a couple of years ago, I probably had way more patience for that. And maybe it's maybe it's the TikTok conditioning of you know keeping my attention for such a short period of time. And it's a boring thing to talk about to keep giving that recommendation over and over of like page load speed. It has to be so quick, but it's so important. Well, and, I mean that goes back to a search trend that we've been talking about gosh, for, for quite a while now, like Core Web Vitals and page load time and that being a, a ranking factor that Google's thinking of. And this is very much in, in my wheelhouse in terms of conversations that we have with clients <laughs> all the time from a, a search perspective. And I'm sure they don't want to hear it anymore. No, They're like, no, oh, we're, all, we're all collectively done. <laughs> uh, so another topic that's come up quite a bit both over the past couple of years, but continue to come up last year as well, is corporate responsibility, DEI, sustainability, climate change, like all of these things. Like, where where do we feel like we landed with this? I think it's still evolving. I think mm-hmm. it's important for us to be there at the front and center of it, mm-hmm. being able to help our clients with their specific needs, but also make sure that they understand consumers' point of view. I know that you know, especially some of the younger generations are very, very focused on the need for companies to reflect positive DEI support, as well as being able to provide really good corporate perspectives on really managing sustainability and really having very transparent goals in that regard. So, I think it's it's critical being sort of an, being an executive sponsor of the Pride Group for uh, Merkel. It's been really an honor to be there to when we actually were announced to have made the top ranking uh, for the HRC, which has been really exciting for us. But I think it's just amazing for what I see of Dentsu as being a leader in all of this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to continue to be aware and make sure that we, you know, do what we need to do to continue moving in in a positive direction. Yeah, I remember when a lot of these DEI conversations started at Merkel, like, I don't know, five, five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. And it was really centered on this business case of justifying mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time and effort that went into some of these conversations. 
And it now feels, at least from where I sit in, you know, my age bracket and what I'm seeing across brands, but it feels like for, for me and people younger than me, it feels like more of a mandate of like the minimum viable product for, you know, evaluating a, an individual brand that you're purchasing from and then going on to differentiation beyond having, you know, great DEI practices in place, uh, being a sustainable business, caring about climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's how it feels in, in the marketplace. Guy, this is making me think of, I think it was the healthcare episode where we were talking with uh, our guests and trying to think of the full conversation, but it was the the idea of like how big of an impact marketing can have across, I think it was like providers and in, in making sure that people are coming in for care and those sorts of things. And that just was really eye-opening for me of, again, how big of an impact we actually can have um, in the quality of people's lives for something that maybe we don't even think about as we're, as we're doing our jobs. I know. I mean, Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, whenever there's a mistake, a lot of people who work in advertising, right, like to be like, look, we're not serving lives at the end of the day. We're putting we're putting ads on the Internet or we're putting ads out in the world like <laughs> we're not saving the world. But there are bigger impacts of, of what we're doing um, beyond just just the act of putting an ad out there. 100 percent. So. We've already talked about a few things that are pulling through into this coming this coming year, but you know, generally moving into twenty twenty three, we're already partway through January. Are there new trends that we haven't talked about, or like new developments from the existing trends that you think we're we're going to expect to happen this year? I think there's a, a lot of different things. I think the obviously one of the things that may temper some of the growth or some of the evolution of what we hope to do might be the economy because (laughs) that might limit the amount of money our clients would be willing to invest in the market. And we just have to be smarter Mm -hmm. about how we sort of connect with our consumers and trigger the interest or demand. But I think assuming we're able to get beyond that, I think that there's the commerce space is so Social commerce space is so exciting. I think assuming TikTok continues to be an open playing field, I think there that will start to grow. I think there's been signs that Facebook may be having a strong competitor in TikTok coming through in social commerce. And, you know, from an overall standpoint, just the evolution of video, especially streaming services and their need to sort of balance their own economics about being able to start to offer ad-supported content. All of those things are happening very quickly. And some of the stalwart traditional, quote-unquote, streaming services, or this happens in many different industries where the initial uh, people first in or companies first in line starting to, um, you know, take ownership of the marketplace starts to find new competitors coming into the market, then tempers their overall success because new players come in, uh, things will start to shift a bit. So with the new ad-supported platforms like Netflix, there will be some shift in ad revenue shifting to them 
from other areas. But I think it's just a positive opportunity for everyone to continue to keep abreast of all these changes and find ways of being able to continue to test, especially in the gaming world where you all had the foresight to be able to see it. But the reality of um, all of this becoming more mainstream is, is so critical and so important so that it becomes not just, you know, uh, people hanging out at home playing, you know, uh, video games, but really a much deeper and broader and immersive environment. And I think that's such a key call out because one of my main takeaways from our gaming conversations was the opportunity for advertisers to really just become a native part of the game as opposed to being like an overlay or very obvious ad. Um, so it could be great from a branding perspective for brands that are looking to, to get involved in that format. And that it like almost surpasses gaming completely, right? Like when our conversation got into the future of work mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we're all just going to be our avatars in our workspaces in the metaverse, like I don't think of that as gaming in my head and I probably won't feel like that right. in reality if that becomes a, the future. Right. I know we also talked a lot about retail media networks this year. We had a couple episodes on them, but it seems like there's really expected to be quite a huge explosion of, um, of funding going into this area. Do we have a sense of like, is this being redirected from different areas or is this net new funding or what are, what are we thinking around retail media networks? It probably comes from a different, both the traditional sources of funding, but because it's a great way to intersect shoppers with shopping or, you know, um, product messages, but it's also an opportunity for them to capture probably dollars from promotional budgets and so on. So that it, you know, it crystallizes the opportunity of garnering different areas together, but in sort of a concerted connection in places where you want to really reach people in that particular mindset. But I even think about it from a different angle of not just that, but also um, Roku working with Walmart and being able to introduce shopping, if you will, being able to buy something while you're watching television, uh, you know, brings right to the forefront of shopping will be always on. I mean, yes, we can always, which I do, go to my phone and order something that I'm like, oh, I forgot to buy this. But the reality is this will be ever present. Mm -hmm. No matter where you are, what you're looking to do, shopping already on a site, but then maybe seeing a new product that you might want to search for Mm -hmm. or, you know, those intersections are so key, especially to be able to connect while people are in the particular mindset. This is making me think of a conversation I had a few years ago with a client around Google Lens. And this is like taking it next level when you're talking about what you're talking about with the Roku and Walmart. I think you said it was of like, it's literally right there at your fingertips. You don't even have to pick up your phone. Like you can just order what you need to right then and there. Fascinating. There have been been many attempts to do that Mm -hmm. through uh, different types of television technology, Mm -hmm. but... Roku being more of a 
unique digital platform may have an easier time being able to create that. You know, the cable industry tried, but not as well. But I think it just underscores the innovation that people are seeking to really capitalize on, you know, finding the right moments, which could be at, at any time. Right. The Charter newsletter just came out this morning showing a graph that there have been more patents in this past year than like ever before <laughs> in history, like one of the, the highest the highest years, only followed by the previous year. So it's this interesting note around innovation and how there's just this explosion, not just obviously in digital media, but this... I don't know, pent up energy of of that's being released post pandemic of of all of these ideas or new ways people have found to do things. And this might be skipping ahead a little bit to our spicy takes section, but I am very curious to see if because of the the times that we're living in terms of inflation and those sorts of things, if we don't get some really creative problem solving that come from it, I'm actually expecting that we do. And it could be a good, really good time for innovation, both from like digital marketing, but also exactly what we're talking about with like new patents and things like that, um, where people are looking to, to problem solve, even on limited budgets, finding the like maximize their visibility for their brands, um, creating new new products. So it could be a really fun time. So trying to find a silver lining totally. out there. I know the world's been completely abuzz with chat gpt have you guys played around with this tool oh man it's like a, <laughs> this, one, this one is like oh this this is scary but exciting but yeah. scary <laughs> yeah like an, an ai chat bot tool and i had seen some articles come out around in the search space bing has always kind of been this like second second tier player to google mm-hmm. obviously being very dominant in it but um, even Microsoft looking at this being like, oh, could we could we use this chatbot or like, you know, the AI powering it to help power Bing results yep. um, or Microsoft search results. Yep. But I, I definitely totally expect that it just it's a continuous positive feedback cycle where the more of these innovations that are coming out, the more people look at it and they're like, you know what, I've got a problem that that will help solve <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I and I do think what's what is interesting as you identify the, the patents, you know, coming out from the pandemic when people were forced to have to live in a different world, in their homes, not interconnecting, could have been a great sort of seed for you know innovation to take place. So hopefully that you know, despite the economy there's going to be more opportunity of new ideas coming up with ways in which we could optimize what we have or build something better that might not be as expensive as the way we might do things currently could be really an opportunity for the future. So I think, Andrea, you're so right. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. And as Andrea teased... We definitely want to get any spicy takes, hot predictions that you have for the industry uh, or broader 
Um, I know we've talked about, you know, TikTok potentially being banned nationwide, not just on government devices, but any other spicy takes that any of us have. I'll speak from my own perspective of, you know, last year, I guess for like the first half of the year, all we could talk about was supply chain (laughs) issues and how everything was disrupted. Everything was, it was taking, you know, over a year to deliver a couch (laughs) and just this past month, I know you guys have probably heard about it, right? The avian flu going around at Wegmans, at our local Wegmans, it used to it used to cost three dollars to get two packs, two eighteen packs of just the standard stock white eggs, nothing fancy. Within like a week, they were up to five thirty eight, and then they just jumped up to almost ten dollars. So there's definitely still some pressure on subsegments that whether or not it's not caused by the initial supply chain disruption during the pandemic, there are definitely some areas that are struggling. Yeah, I was about to say, well, I was thinking eggs when you were talking about (laughs) I was also hoping for, you know, milk that's no longer $7 for, you know, organic ultra pasteurized milk that we could actually pay like $4 again, you know, something like that. But I have heard also, though, that there's expected greater supply of cars. So because of chips and other things becoming more available. So who knows? I think, you know, supply chains will probably continue to have their ups and downs with regard to the different types of things available might be more more available versus others. But I do think that these will all start to iron themselves out, but it'll take a couple of years. Hmm. Um, yes, that's I, what I, I do think. Well. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be immediate. Right. Yes, sadly. I will go ahead and make the the spicy prediction that, given that so much of the supply chain disruption was due to like port inaccessibility and mm-hmm. uh, difficulty just getting things in and out of the country, that we'll, we'll see more U.S based like end-to-end supply chain reestablishment to try and minimize some of that that future risk that could happen if if such a situation were to to come about again but it would take a few years for sure and i think there was uh, in some of our talk before there was definitely some consideration that coming back to the us starting to build or develop things or starting to bring that production back into the country will start to help balance out some of the needs that we have as well. It's been interesting to see that the global nature of what we were thinking about has its problems, right? And so uh, there are challenges that, unfortunately, who knew we could predict. Right. But I do want to also say that I think crypto will recover, but it's not going to be fast. I think there's a lot of legislation that needs to be put into place, mm-hmm. but it's it grew and became so large and so so generating so much discussion and talk that it's not going to go away, but it's not going to you know rebound as quickly as we would like it to. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that I'm assuming that it will be coming to fruition in the next few years. It's, it gets more grounded in 
you know, establishes itself in better ways. Well, these are some really great topics that uh, that we've been talking about today and a lot of things that our listeners should be aware of and thinking about as they are heading into 2023. So especially as we're finalizing roadmaps and budgets and all of those sorts of things, Gary, thank you so, so much for sharing your knowledge with us and your insights. Um, we really appreciate it and hope to have you on our, on our episode again at some point in the future. Thanks so much. Love to. Awesome. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you would like to connect with us, DM us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Merkel. As always, we are so grateful for our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us, and tell a friend about the show. This episode was produced by Merkel with sound and video editing by Craig Zagurski. Our team includes copywriting by Annika Schliesman, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Bella Paul and Emily Chu, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop, Andrea Ratner, and Lily Williams. Until next time, I'm Andrew McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye!